Hello, everybody. Welcome to our last session for the year. What an amazing, action-packed last couple of months. Um, we are going to be dedicating tonight's shiur for Fua Shalema, Mechana Bat Sarah, Dina Bat Sabina, Malka Bat Bela, and David Ben Daisy. This is part two of the last week. Last week was part one in the science and the soul of prayer. Last week we covered topics such as what is prayer and why pray, the seven things that happen in Tfilah, when can you pray, and we said always, um, the health benefits of Tfilah, and we spoke a lot about how it works Kabbalistically with the letters, etc., etc. And we spoke about Tzim uh, Tzom, and, and, and each letter has a spiritual energy, and the letter has only the external casing, external covering of the spiritual essence of the letter that comes down through all the worlds, and it manifests and expressed in a physical form of the letters that we have. That's what we spoke about last week. And today is part two. So we're dealing with some of the scientific um, some of the scientific impacts um, of our philot when we pray that have real effects on the world around us. Okay, so let's jump into it. There's actually three areas, three scientific areas I want to look at that are all connected to the last couple of weeks that we spoke about. The effects of our words. The effects of our words. So I'm quoting here from a book. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna show you some photos. Um the book here is called The Coming Revolution by Zamir Cohen. It's a very, very good book. It brings together many, many scientific discoveries with Torah and um Kabbalistic sources. In relation to our our tfilot and words that we say, we spoke last week and we said that words and even feelings that we have, they manipulate and create worlds and destroy them. Like good feelings, right? Good feelings towards, we're going to see now, plants, uh, um, water, ice, create, and negative feelings destroy. And this is deeply um, referenced in our literature. For example, Nefesh Chaim writes in Shah Aleph Perak 3 that through a person's good deeds, speech, and thoughts, a person enlivens and strengthens many places and supernal worlds, increasing their holiness and light. And he says again in, 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 Shah, in, in Shah 4, chapter 11, that the very life and existence of all the worlds depends solely on our speech and Torah study. And if for one second we would stop learning Torah, then the world would revert back to nothingness and emptiness, God forbid. So everything would just end up back to nothingness. We said last week about the importance of tefillah. Um, now, they did an experiment. This, this was done by a Japanese researcher. His name was Dr. Masuro Emuto. Emuto. Um, he took a cup of water um, just from a spring or river, put it in a room. They made positive or negative statements towards that cup of water. Then they put the water in a Petri dish and froze it at minus 25 Celsius for three hours. After three hours, they took out the water and they examined it under a microscope with a magnifying power of 200 times to 500 times in a room kept minus five degrees. So what they did was they said to different statements, to different, um, different, to different petrol with different parts of water that they had said things to. And then they, the frozen crystals came out very differently. 
depending on what they said to it. So, for example, when they said to the water, thank you very much, a certain beautiful shape in the crystal came out. I'm going to show you. When they said love and appreciation to the water and then they froze the water, what came out? A beautiful crystal. I'll show you the shape. And then they also said soul. So here, here are the three that I'm talking about now. These three on the right here is what came out. This one was from saying thank you. Look how that water froze and the crystal was formed from saying thank you. Then this one here, this crystal was formed from saying love and appreciation. And the final one was saying the word soul. That's that's the image that froze, that was formed by water being exposed to positive words. So soul. But now let's take a look at what happens when we say negative things towards the water and how that freezes and how the crystals form. The first one here was exposed to the word idiot. When they said idiot, look what happened there. Not very nice. Okay. Now this was exposed to the words ugly. And you can see compared to that, it is quite ugly. And the final one, which is over here, was exposed to the words, I will kill you. You're disgusting and I'll kill. Yeah, it does look a bit like people. Sorry, I'm trying to get this right for the camera. Uh, there you go, if you can see that. So it doesn't look very nice. You're, you're disgusting and I will kill you. It looks really, really worse than all the other ones. So you can see the level of speech. The more positive, the more beautiful the crystals formed and, and froze. And the, the, and, and, and the more degrading the speech, the more of, an, of a um, perverse impact it had on nature around us, on the world around us. So you can see, if, it, if you said idiot, if all like that, if you said ugly, but you say I kill you and, and, I, and, you, and you, you disgust me, it really was the worst possible image. Okay, so after this experiment happened by um, this Japanese researcher, Dr. Amito, an Israeli student at Bar-Ilan University, a chemistry student in Israel, decided that he wanted to actually take this to the next level and see if he can make this work. So he did a, a more of a elaborate experiment. This time for two weeks, he took beans, okay, white beans on a bed of cotton and watered them for a period of two weeks. One dish was watered with standard tap water without speaking or thinking any specific thoughts, just neutral. The second dish he said curse words. And the final dish, he recited Psalms to Hillen and thought of blessings like Shakoni Adoroi. And so there's three different um, dishes we have. One which is neutral, one with curses, and one with blessings and Psalms. Okay, now, obviously, I have to tell you, after two weeks, the, the one that was with curses almost, basically, it, it didn't grow at all. It, it did not grow at all. It didn't die, but it didn't grow. The one that was just on its own grew a little bit, but the one that he said psalms and blessings absolutely flourished like Jack and the beanstalk. Now I'm going to show you the photos. This hand here is pointing to is the one with brachot. You can see it's really, really flourished. Okay, the one underneath it just has a couple of white beans. There's, up, there's no growth. There's no green uh, stalk or whatever we would call that. Vegetation, there's nothing, no green. You see, Joanne, there's no, I need the reverse camera. No green on the bottom one. See the bottom one? There's no green. And then, yeah, yeah. And then point to the top left. 
Yeah, and that one was just a plain neutral one. So there was some growth, but nowhere near as the one next to it, which has completely grown, ran around in circles. It's, you know, I'm not sure that's 30 to 50 centimeters worth of, of growth. So we can see when you say brachot, uh, when you say tehillim, when you say your words create, literally your words create and the words destroy. So that is a, a real experiment. And I want to read you something over here. This is what the Ramchal writes. The Ramchal was one of the greatest Jewish philosophers, and this is what he writes. It's in Derech Hashem, section 4, chapter 2. And he quotes, The whole power of the Torah derives from the precious spiritual influence that God has invested in it, to the point that by reciting and studying its words, one draws down this great power, which is the highest and most exalted influence that reaches the creation from God. So again, we spoke about this last week. Every letter has a, has a spiritual energy that we are trying to draw down and reconnect through the speech. That goes through, our soul gets expressed and contains in our breath, and we're trying to pull the bottom of that spiritual um, energy of the Aleph letter, of the base letter. That's exactly what Ramchal writes here. When a person studies Torah, he stands before God and draws upon himself a great light. And although he should rejoice in this good fortune, he must also tremble in fear and not be frivolous or disrespectful towards the words or text of the Torah so as to draw down the spiritual influence that we mentioned. If a person realizes before whom he stands, right, his learning will be truly appropriate. The divine grace will grow within him and he will draw rectification and enlightenment into the entire world. However, if the person lacks this condition, he will not draw down illumination. It is only his level of fear, respect, and conscientiousness that determines the value of his study and the degree of spiritual influence that he draws down. We, we said exactly the same thing last week from the Hasidic master, the Yosha Divrei Emes. And this, this is not coming, this is from the Ramchal. So two different approaches and two, two different worlds of schools of philosophy are saying exactly the same thing, right? That our words create or destroy the world the more refined our speech, the more refined our character, the more we can draw down. We said last week about the Tzimtzum, that God withdrew his um, blinding light to make the space for us. So in, in a global context, God withdrew his blinding light to allow us to have a feeling and a perception of independence from him. But in, the, but in relation to the letters and the words specifically, God constricted his light in the letters. The letters are the kalim, the tools through which God created the world. So he dimmed the light and constricted the light through all of the spiritual worlds, all the way down to our world, that we take that letter, which is full of God's light, but in a very constricted way that we can, we can relate to, we can identify with. We then try with our minds, right, to mimic God's process of symptom. So we, we, ha- we take the letters and we try to unpack the light and the and the energy and the and the information, like God's knowledge, God's wisdom that's in those letters. Right? So we set an example last week. Imagine you're trying to say something to a five-year-old child. You cannot give it over to the child how it's in your mind. You have to really dumb it down for the five-year-old, right? That's the symptom process. Constrict your light, constrict your knowledge and wisdom, and and then give it down to the child and hope that the child can then rebuild it in his mind through your external words 
take those external words that become external to you. That, that's not your true light. That's just the, the dumbed down version of it in external words. The child takes those external words and tries to reprocess them from hearing them and then rebuild them in his mind to understand what you're trying to say. And the better you, you're able, the more articulate you are and the more, and, 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 and the more capable you are of doing that process, the more you hope the child can actually get the message that you're trying to get across to him to rebuild that in his mind, right? Same with the student and the teacher, teacher and the student, et cetera, et cetera. A good teacher has to be able to give it in a way the student can receive and a good student can receive it the way the teacher is trying to give it over in the teacher's mind and rebuild it. So think about that with Hashem. Hashem, so to speak, constricted all the lights of all of his wisdom and knowledge and light of the, and the air in the letters of the Chafes, Osios, Alephes, Gimel of our Alephet. And we then, with our minds, mimic this, mimic this process by trying to take it from our Machshava to, down to our Bina, then down to our just speaking Koila Pashut without any formulation, doesn't, doesn't get any the sound doesn't take on any form yet until the five apertures, five apertures of the mouth, and through the five apertures of the mouth, it comes out into a word. So what we're really doing is trying to unlock and unpack all that information that God constricted into that letter, into that word in our mind, right? We're trying to unpack all that information, think what the letter means. What did God mean by that letter? What did God mean by that word when we daven? What did God mean by the words that we say during tefillah? And we put the thoughts that God wants us to think and connect to his wisdom, that what he meant in that letter, the energy, and unlock that, tap into that energy, think it and feel it, machshava and haragasha, which is our kavana and our havavira, our emotion and our thought that goes into our speech. It comes from our mind through to our bina, and then we speak it out. If we put that process, we, un, we unpackage God's light from those letters, and then because because when we speak, it's an expression of our soul. We said last week that our breath is not a futile thing. Our breath contains our soul. So when we speak, it's our soul being expressed. Like we said, God blew into Adam and Adam came a living speaking spirit. So when we speak, it's an expression of God's immortal soul that he put in us. So we express our soul when we speak. So when we then unpack all those, all that light and all that wisdom from God's letters and words, and we say them with the right intentions, we bring those letters to life. We give those letters energy. That's our process. We become God's partner. We recreate the world literally in God's image because then what happens? The beans grow and the crystals form in a beautiful way. Everything happens in a beautiful way. So we are literally God's partners. It's not like some, yeah, be God's partner. No, we are literally God's partners. We take God's wisdom and God's knowledge through the letters. We process them. We give light to them and meaning to them. And through our thoughts and our emotion, we unpack them. And then we give them out to the world through our speech which is the final product, and that creates, that creates and generates in the world. Yeah, is that all clear? Beautiful. So. Is that, can I ask? Yes, yeah, so question. Um, like, Sadi Kim had that power to do that. So, you know, you're looking at people like Baba Sali and all the amazing, they were known for their miracles. Absolutely. Baba Haki, so. Absolutely. So, Joanne's raising a very good point we touched on last week. Yes, the Tadikim can do this, Baba Sali, Ben Ishchai, um, the great Hasidic masters, they can all do this. However, obviously, not everyone can do it because we have to really understand the deep Kabbalistic um, meanings behind the, the words, the letters, the text. But we can all generate on our level. Everyone can generate. Even just the words that Chazal taught us to say, 
we're going we're gonna to explain soon the process of our morning shacharit, how brilliant it is. Most of us probably have never heard this before, right? Uh, I certainly did at the class, sorry, he explains how we have to unlock the inner chamber. Shmon Esra uh, is about unlocking the inner chamber of the king. We have a whole process to get there. You can't just walk into the king's, uh, you know, inner chamber. You've got to go through the front door of the palace, through the, through the courtyard. You've got to go through the, um, the different chambers, the ballrooms, you know, and then it finally gets into the... So even just the process of saying it, the more thought and the more concession we put in, then the more powerful. And also I want to say the following. That Ramosha Wilson, who I also use his book from Rashid Finkelman, which was called Service of the Heart, he writes that the Arizal told his, his most famous student, who recorded all his words, Rukhain Vital, that he said to Rukhain Vital, You are the equivalent of Rabbi Akiva in our generation. Because Rakiva was in the times of, you know, brilliant people, Tanaim and, and, and holy people, right? Second temple, God's presence in the temple. So, um, he was a Rekiva, but today in such concealment, you know, 1500 years later, the result of you are the equivalent of a Rekiva. So Ramosha Wilson, who's the, um, who's the Mashiach of Taradas in America, and the Rav of Emunas Yisrael, Shul, a big, a big, massive Shul, he said that, that who knows, each and every one of us that learns, that davens, that puts on tefillin, that lights Shabbat candles, we could all be the equivalent today of Rabbi Akiva. That's what he said. It's in his book. So we really don't know how powerful a prayer from a Jew in sitting in Melbourne, Australia, or in Surface Paradise in Queensland that join us tonight, or anywhere around the world, in 2021, after 2,000 years of exile, we just don't understand the power of that filler in God's eyes. Right? We just don't understand. So, therefore, whatever we do is, um, is, is, is unbelievable. We have to know that and, and, and realize that. And like Rabbi Ramchal said, on one hand, it's wow. It's unbelievable. We are unbelievable. But on the other hand, we have to with awe and with the right Yirat Shamayim to know we're standing before God. If you want to have the real unlocking and, and generating of the letters and of the words, we have to realize we're standing before God. It's God's wisdom and God's language. So we have to treat it with Kushatara, um, with respect, with sanctity, etc., etc. Now, the next thing I want to tell you is, after speaking all about this, the words and mimicking God's, mimicking God's process of symptom. The Shari Chodemunah, which is the Tanya's, one of the Tanya's most deepest uh, works, he writes there that, that we also mimic God in the sense that our speech creates something from nothing. So we already spoke that God created the world, yesh me'ayin, something from nothing. And the Tanya says that we are, we are mimicking that process of yesh me'ayin, of creation, when we speak. Why? What happens? We take a breath which can be equated with nothingness, right? It's obviously not literal. We're talking metaphorically. Obviously, literally, we're living in a physical world. That breath is physical. But, but, but even in a physical world, the breath is almost nothing, right? It doesn't, really, it doesn't really, it's not a real thing, the breath, right? In the sense of physicality, right? So we, from the breath, which is a sort of nothingness, we create words and speech. And that's what the Tanya writes, that it's an unbelievable thing. He says that God created the world and it says, you give life to all. You give life to all. So what does it mean you give existence to all? So you means as in from nothing, right? You gave from nothing. You gave everyone, you created the word, the world, creation, ex nilo. Now, atah is the letters aleph, taf, and hey. So let's think about this for a second. He says the following. Aleph to taf means 
that your letters, you, Chofbeis Oisius, that you, the letters were the vessels, were the kalim to create the world. Because Baruch Shammah, God spoke, created the world. Asara Maris Nevera Olam, right? With 10 pronunciations, God created the world. So God created the world through speech. We spoke about that last week. So Atal means Aleph to Toph, with the with the aleph to top with the twenty two aleph uh, twenty two letters of the of the of the aleph aleph base, you created the world. And what's the hay? The hay signifies the five apertures of the mouth. The hay metoyesapeh. So with this process, right? God created the world. The twenty two letters when they are spoken and formed through the five hay metoyesapeh, the five apertures of the mouth, which we said last week were the throat, palate, teeth, tongue, and lips. We then. The world comes into creation. Twenty letters and five ways of pronouncing the letters. A process that reflects the process of creation as a whole. The breath of the mouth is the aspect of nothingness, and the letter created is the aspect of something. In other words, that which can be seen and identified as a result of the contraction of God's infinite light through which the universe was created. So basically, uh, when God spoke, he created physical objects that we can now see and identify. And the same thing with our speech. We have nothing as in a breath. You can't really see anything. Then we speak and we form words that can be heard. But not only can they be heard, I'm about to show you something, they can be seen. Our words can be seen. What did it say at Sinai? The people stood and the voice of the horn, I'm quoting from, from Exodus 19 and 20. And the voice of the horn waxed louder and louder. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. And all the people saw the sounds and the lightning and the voice of the horn and the mountain spoken. They saw the sounds. So what happened? They saw the sounds. So two Israeli scientists decided, if they says they saw the sounds, they saw the sounds, right? Torah emet, Torah temet. They saw the sounds. We can't see sounds. You need to have the right equipment to be able to convert sounds and um, and see them on computers, etc., etc. So... These two scientists separately, one of them is called Chaim Yaakov Guggenheim. He is an electro-optics engineer at Aircraft Industries of Israel. And he was part of the team that developed the Lavi um, fighter jet. So he's a pretty, you know, advanced uh, engineer. He decided to do an experiment. Now, I'm not going through the whole experiment here, but he does give the details and the, and the contacts the way you can research it yourself. You can look up Yaakov Guggenheim or you could... Find that in this book, he goes through the whole experiment. But I'm going to show you the results, okay? So the results are that out of 22 letters of that Hebrew alphabet, they got 18, including the Vav. So the Vav doesn't really, um, it's just a straight line, it doesn't really count. So they got 17, but with the Vav, 18. And that final four, they didn't get why, because we don't absolutely know the exact way to pronounce the letters, right? We know that the Sardim have better way than Ashkenazim, and the Temanim from Yemen have better way than Sardim. So... We don't have the exact pronunciation how we should say it in order for it to get the image on the computer screen, the, the visual. Nevertheless, here are three of his letters on his experiments. Um, so you can see that um, we got the test, the iron and the fey. And on this page is the next experiment that was done. And this one was done by the next um, by the next scientist engineer. His name was Chaim. Ben Harav Chai Elbis was a physicist, also worked and engineered Israeli's aircraft industry in 1997. Okay, he used the Graph X software to display visually the pronunciation of Hebrew letters. His amazing findings are displayed here. So let's look. Okay, so let's see this here. Look, we got the English ones, and there's absolutely no resemblance whatsoever. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H, those eight letters. Now look at the Hebrew letters. 
and you can see how identical they are to the way they would. So all this is is using heavy equipment and computer equipment and, 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 and all this stuff that they need to get the sound. They were able to speak into a computer and get a digital image. And don't forget, Hebrew is back to front, right? They got the image in Hebrew that identified the word they were saying. But they couldn't replicate that in, in English or other languages. So it's pretty astonishing that when we spoke these Kabbalistic concepts, we said, number one, how words create. <clears throat> we said it mimics God's Simpson process, where we think of the letters and then bring it into a word, something from nothing. But also, it actually creates a real image if you have the right equipment and technology to decipher that image. Yes, we've got a question for Ruben. Is you, are you unmuted? Yes. Now, you know, I understand that one and the illustrations there. How then do we accommodate Paleo-Hebrew, which had a very different form before the Babylonian captivity? Yes, yeah, so the answer is that they discussed that. And there's, there's, there is a dispute in the Talmud of Ksav Ashuri versus Ksav Ivri. But all the Kabbalists agree that the, that the Torah was written definitely in Ksav Ashuri. And therefore, they use Ksav Ashuri, which is, the, which is a text that we have in our Torah today, and which we believe that the Torah was given in, according to Kabbalah at least, the Torah was given in Ksav Ashuri, the one we use today. Except for the fact that archaeology would show that the Paleo-Hebrew way pre-exists any evidence of the new text that they brought back from Babylon. Yeah, but um, the thing is, like I was just learning the Gemara now, Megillah, and it may have been that they used um, the Ksav Ashuri only in a holy scripture text, whereas they used Ksav Ivri for general documentation. So mm-hmm. you would have had an overwhelming amount of stuff every in everyday letter writings. You want to write a letter of a friend. You want to write a, a star for, for money matters, legal documents, financial legal documents. Yeah. But when it came to the Torah, and don't forget, we're talking about, you know, um, two and a half thousand years ago, there weren't that many texts that were recorded in writing as in Hebrew scrolls, right? We know they wanted to make the Migdash. You know, they had a few, but it wasn't like every man... Um, and his neighbor had their own Torah scrolls. So there were very few and far in between. And according to one, one school of thought, they were always written in Ashuri. Um, mm. And at least that's the way the Kabbalah understands it. Yes, because I know um, there is one of the camping places of Bar Midbar, chapter 33, I think, where it lists okay. all the different camp places. One place called Dofkar. Yes. Where actually there are rock engravings there okay. of the Paleo Hebrew, which, you know, does indicate that contrary to a lot of opinion, um, uh, the Israelites had a high degree of literacy. Yeah. Long before anybody actually imagined they had it. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't mean that they wrote the yeah. Torah, that God gave the 10, the 10, um, uh, yeah. um, the 10 commandments in, it could, that God could have given that in Ashuri. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what you're saying is um, uh, text with, you know, the lettering we're familiar with now existed more in an esoteric realm rather than, like you say, everyday yeah. thing. It, it could be a visible thing without being written. Well, that's one possibility, but I was saying yeah. that it could, have been, it could have been written in the Holy Scriptures, but not necessarily in everyday, uh, not everyday language. They would yeah. have written in a different, different, but that's also true. It could have been that in God's, in God's language it's in Ashuri which is in our Torah today and when you speak it like that it comes out like that 
and it has the effect. Um, and if you write it in every, then you're just writing it in a different way, but the letters are still pronounced the same and they're still the same spiritually. Yeah, that's the essence of it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, moving on, we're going, we've, done that, we've done the first half about science. So that was interesting. And we see that our words really are very powerful. Um, now we're going to move on to the order of our tefillah. It's very, very important. It really blew my mind, and I want to share it with you. I said already that it's about getting the keys to the inner chamber of the king's palace. This is how it works, right? We, have, we wake up in the morning, we have brachot. Acknowledge and recognize God, right? Acknowledge him, recognize him, thank him. I can see, I can hear, I can walk, right? I can use the bathroom, Asha Yotzar. You gave me back my soul, my Ani Lepanecho, Shadam and Shmosi, the kind of Shama. I was gave me clothes, I was him, right? So we, we, we thank God for all those things. We recognize him, acknowledge him. We depend on him from around. We depend on him, show our dependency on him. Then what do we do? We then say the Karbanot, right? Because the Karbanot, uh, helping to atone for our sins. And, and we haven't got a Beta Mikdash. We said last week that no one went to sleep in Jerusalem with any Avera Biyadai. Why? A sin on his hands. Because the carbon Tomid shall um, Shashachar and the carbon Tomid shall bear Nabayim were Bechapa. But when we lost the temple, now we have to do um, we, our is in place of the service. Therefore, it says, Kolo Oisek Betoiras Oile Bechatos Zeharekeilo Whoever learns the parsha, learns the text from the Torah of regarding the laws of the carbon oil and carbon chatos, as if they sacrifice it. Actually, um, I was learning on Friday before Shabbat with my chavrusa, Ari Goldman from from Israel, and he, he shared with me a piece from Rabbi Nachman of Breslau, brilliant piece, who actually said exactly why it's called self-sacrifice. It's called you sacrifice yourself. Why? What happens when you pray? When you pray, what you're doing is is that a person has their own retzoyness, their own desires. They want money and they want health and they want, uh, they want, um, they want a nice house. They want a nice job and they want, uh, successful children. They want a whole, whole range of things. So, so what happens is, is that when we pray, the Avaida is that we have to have complete his spotless, complete nullification, completely submit our will, our many desires, to the will of Hashem, to the Ratzon of Hashem. So that's how we are actually being makriv ourselves. If we can get to the point where we say, hang on a second, I'm going to let go of all of my personal needs and wants and desires and my ego, all the me, 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 and I'm going to let go and now just tap in and let God and tune into God's will. What does God want, Right? It's a God-centric world. What can I do for God? Not what can God do for me. What can I do for God? How can I sanctify God's world? How can I bring God's light to the world? How can I help God's children? Right? Think about God, right? All the mitzvot and the Torah is about thinking outside of ourselves, the broad perspective. So every time you pray, in the, if it's in the right way, what are you doing? You're sacrificing your personal self and your desires and your wants, and you're nullifying that to God's will. And that's like a human carbon. Every time we pray, we're like a carbon. Beautiful, no? Okay, so we go through Karbanot, then we go to Pesuket de Zimra, we give praise, and what's the point of that? The point of that is, is that we want to be married upon us, we want to find favor in the eyes of the king. So once we've woken up, said, my Dani, acknowledge Hashem and acknowledge our dependency on him, then we've said, um, so to speak, we've asked forgiveness through the Karbanot, now we say Pesuket de Zimra, which is that we are saying how great Hashem is giving praises. So if Hashem was angry with us, 
we're finding favor in his eyes. And what happens is, uh, according to the more Hasidic approach and more Kabbalistic idea is, Sukkot um, Zimra also means to be Zemer Aritzim, which means cutting down the mighty, meaning that it says, When the Roman scale, when God's songs of exaltedness are in our throats, then we have a a double-edged sword in our hands. Okay? So they say, they explain that when you are praising God, that creates a spiritual sword. Roman is Calvary when God's exaltedness, God's praises are in your throat, in your mouth, then you have a cherubis in your hands, you have a sword. And what does that sword do? It's Russian of Suket Zimra, of Zemaritzin, cutting down the mighty. Cutting down the mighty is what we're achieving with Suket Zimra through all the songs of praise to God. What do you mean by cutting down the mighty? We are fighting a battle against the concealment that our Nefesh Bahamis, we spoke about this, we have a godly soul, Nefesh Lokis, and a Nefesh Bahamis, and a physical soul. And they're constantly fighting over the human body. That's how the Tanya explains it. You have two neshamot. You have a animalistic neshama and a godly neshama. And it's like two kings that are going to war over one town. There can only be one winner. They're not sharing the town. There can only be one winner at each moment in time. So the guf is the town. The guf is the territory they're trying to conquer. So either the nefesh eloikis is finding expression and being channeled through the body. So everything you look at, your, your, your eyes, your sight, your hearing, your speech is being channeled by the guf is channeling the nefesh alokis, the godly soul at this moment while we're learning and davening and doing mitzvot. Or if we are, God forbid, speaking Lashon Hara or doing something wrong, looking at something that we shouldn't be looking at, then our eyes are channeling our Nefesh Bahamis, our Nefesh Bahamis, our animalistic soul is finding expression through the body. So the animalistic soul now has conquered the body. So there's a constant war. When we learn, everything we do is being channeled by the Nefesh Alekis. So it's not just like, it has such deep significance, because what it means is that your entire body is now being, when we spoke the last three, four weeks about soul expression, soul expression, it's a different life with soul expression. We spoke from the Chavis Talmidim, Eish Kodesh, the, the Rabbi from Bezetzna. He writes in his works all about the soul expression. And when he says, when, you, when your soul is finding expression, you're a different person. We said about beauty, right? Inner beauty reflects an outer beauty. The soul expression gives you a different sense of beauty, a, a, a hadras ponim, right? A beautiful face. So when your Nefesh Alekis is finding expression, suddenly your eyes are working from your soul's expression. Your ears are from your soul's expression. Your hands, your body, everything is soul expression. So, Suket Zimra, the, the sword that we have, the the double-edged sword that we have, which they explain that the yud is the handle of the sword, the vav is the actual spine of the sword, and the two the two blades, the double-sided blades, the two blades on each side are the two heads of God's name, yud vavke. So it's, it's a sword which we fight the concealment when we come to Daven. So let's understand what's happening here in a more global picture. We come to Shul, all day long, we, uh, we've just been sleeping, drinking coffee. Who knows what we've been doing, right? Talking, just saying jokes. We come to shul with complete, covered in concealment, right? Hastara of the Devashah Bahamis, right? We haven't been doing mitzvot. We've just been, you know, whatever, listening to the radio, talking to our friends. So what's been channeled throughout Gubari and Nefesh Bahamis? So in order to fight back, in order for, for the, for the Nefesh Loikis to take back control and to recontain um, sovereignty over the body, to govern the body again, through the Psukhet Zimra, we have Robes Kevgorim singing God's praises, we are fighting that concealment of our Nefesh Bahamis with that spiritual sword, 
right? It represents God's name, fighting that concealment and trying to tap into our spiritual side. So that as we pray and we, we walk up to the prayers of Kriyat Shema, right? As we get Krishna and slowly we get to Shema and then we get to Esrei, we're getting more and more and more aligned with God and one with God, right? We said we have the idea of davening to be Davuk boy connected to him and also to be a level of Yichud and Devekas and oneness. So we're trying to start that process. So we started it with Moida'ani. Then we went through Karbonat to say sorry and to find forgiveness. Then Sukhan Zimra, we're trying to fight the concealment so we can get closer and closer to God, right? Get closer and closer to God. We have the Alpha Oneness in Shema and Shwan Esrit. Okay, so then we're moving on. We come to Shema. And in Shema, we recognize the brachot that are preceding Shema, recognize God's exaltedness and awesomeness and love for us, right? That awaken our love for Him to the point of Yichud. So how does this work? So there's a brilliant meditation online by Ari Kaplan. You can look it up on YouTube, Ari Kaplan Shema Meditation. And he explains the following, that the, 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 the this is about what's happening now with the Shema process and the, and the brachot that lead up to Shema and then the Shema and then the Vahafta. So he says the following, one meditates on the sun, moon, stars and beyond and contemplates the vast reaches of space, immense beyond comprehension. Yet while meditating on the vastness of the astronomical world, one sees it all working to do God's will. This is a very important point also that my Chavrosa and my teacher, Aragon, taught me as well, that the world is constantly in a state of three things. Everything except for humanity, except for humans, we have free will. But everything else in the world, the trees, the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything, the mazolis, everything, they are constantly in a state of is spotless to Hashem, nullification to God's will. They're constantly doing the Ratzon Hashem, the will of God, and they constantly exist in Achtos Hashem, in God's unity. So these three things, Hispatlas Hashem, Ratzon Hashem, and Achtos Hashem. The whole world, except for the human who has a choice, what he wants to do, is in a constant state of nullification, spotless to God's will. They are always doing God's will. The animals, right? The birds, the vegetation, the trees, everything is doing God's will. The only thing in the world, the only creation that can decide to ignore God's will and, have, and, and act on that perception of independence from him is the human. He can just ignore it. We said he can make a bracha. And Mertel is not getting spiritual substance from the pe, the pi Hashem, the, the soul of Hashem in the apple, right? The nefesh of Hashem, that Hashem put in the apple, the oil Hashem put in the apple. It's up to us. If you don't want to acknowledge God and just pretend that we give ourselves life, that we're the source of everything in the world, we're the source of all knowledge, we're the source of all help, we're the source of all power, which is ridiculous. The source of all life most ridiculous idea ever, right? Even if I don't appreciate, it's all from God. Then says Ari Kaplan, that this is, we're talking about the brachot of Hamel Oretz, when we're leading up to Shema, we're talking about these brachot that we're saying, and we say, our mind then transcends the astronomical world and goes up to the spiritual world of the angels. We join them in their daily praise to God when they say, Kadosh, 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 Holy, 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 right? And, then we say that which are spiritual celestial beings like angels and stuff, and they are, then they say blesses God from his place. So we are joining the angels on the very high spiritual realms in their praising God. This is all as we ascend towards the, the, the Shema process, right? Then one which is higher and higher, joining the highest angels in the quest for the divine. Then we focus on Hashem's love for us and the half of Rabbah prayer is Hashem's love for us and how he drew us close to him through the Torah and commandments, right? So Hashem drew us close to him through giving us the Torah and the commandments. And we say that during the Havah prayer. Then we say Shema, 
achieving peak experience of love, oneness, and closeness to God. So I'll say two things on the Shema first. So when we say Shema, so, so the Havah, Rabbah prays, saying how much Hashem loves us. And then what happens is, is that we say Echad. When we say Echad, we connect the two loves. Because we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Ha'boycher Ba'amah Yisrael Ba'hava, Ba'hava, the last word of the Baruch before Shema is Ahava. Then Shema Yisrael Hashem Ha'kenah Hashem Echad. And straight away, Ba'hafta Es Hashem. So God loves us. Then we say Shema. And then Ba'hafta, we love God back. So we got God loving us on this side. Then Shema Yisrael Hashem Ha'kenah Hashem Echad. And Echad, the word Echad, bridges Ba'hafta Es Hashem, our love back to God. So the word Echad bridges God's love to us to our love to God. Why? Because Echad actually equals Ahava. The numerical, numerical value of Echad is Ahava. Right? Echad equals 13. Aleph is 1. Ches is, uh, Aleph is 1. Dalet is 5. And Ches is 8. So that's 13. And Ahava equals 2 Hays is 10. Uh, Aleph and a base is 13. So Echad numerically represents love. Echad. It represents Ahava numerically. Right? In Matria. So the Echad is bridging the two Ahavas together. God's love for us, before we say Shema, we appreciate, wow, God loves us. Then, by knowing that and appreciating that, as we say, Vahavta, which can also be understood as we will love Hashem, Vahavta can mean uh, you should love Hashem, or we, we could also understand it as we will love Hashem, Vahavta, and you will love Hashem, meaning that if we hear the message that God is ours, right? Hashem God is ours, and, and we hear the message that God is one, Hashem is ours, and Hashem Echad Hashem is one, that one will automatically love God as love for God follows as a natural consequence of the experience of his essence and his unity. So for able to get into this meditative state where we feel God's oneness and feel God's love for us, we'll automatically love God back. That comes from, we say, Hashem Hashem Echad, Hashem is one and he's ours, says Ari Kaplan, if we meditate on the fact that it's one, Echad, and Lekeno, and it's ours, we will automatically have the behalf to Hashem Lekecha, we'll automatically love God back the way he loves us and have that perfect unity. When we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekeno, so we say Yudke Vavke, yeah, Shema Yisrael Hashem Yudke Vavke Elokeno. We said Yudke Vavke, and Rosh Hashem talks about this as well, is Hashem Hoya Hoya Vyeh, before there was a time, before time, before a world, before a creation, um, However, during a world that's a creation and yeah, will always be after a world. Before, I mean, it's beyond time, right? Beyond time and space, beyond creation. That's God before any world. Then there's Elokeinu, which means God after creating the world, God in concealment, Elokeinu, hiding in nature, hidden in nature, Hester, hidden in nature. Now, the idea is Shema Yisrael, here, Yisrael, Yisrael can mean Jews, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem, Yudke before creation, Right, whereas Oyaposhut, it's a simple light. There's no hiddenness, there's no concealment, there's no astara, no helam. Hashem Echad, it's all one. Even if we only experience God through concealment, we only experience God through challenges, we only experience God through this world, through the Khoshech, we don't see the Oyer, we don't see God in the name of Yudke Vavke, right? We only see the concealment of God, but no, it's Echad, it's one. It's all one, it's the same God. He's just presenting in, 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 in a state of concealment right now. I'm hiding my face from you. It's one of the punishments of exile. I'm going to hide my face, right? And that's what we said in Yom Kippur seven times. Hashem, who are like him? Hashem, right? Which is all chesed and kind and loving. Who are like him? He is the like him that you're seeing now, the concealment, 
the challenges, the, the, the evil decrees that we have to go through in life, the chayshech, the darkness, it's all Hashem Hu Elikim. Hashem is the Elikim. Okay, so when you do say the Shema, Ari Kaplan says also Shema Yisrael also means talking to ourselves in a meditative state because Yisrael, Shema, listen, the Yisrael, who's the Yisrael? The one who fights, who contends with the transcendental. The, the Yisrael, the one who fights, like Yaakov fought with the angel, right? Yaakov fought with the, with the, with the angel. Right? And, and we don't need to give Nashka, they hit him in the thigh. But he contended with the, with the spiritual. So too, the Yisrael, each one of us is a Yisrael, Kel, we contend with the spiritual. So Shema, listen yourself in your meditative state. Yisrael, you who is trying to contend with the super, with the transcendental, with the godly, that Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem is yours, is ours. Hashem is one. So we're talking to ourselves as well, right? And what should we think when we think when we say that Shema Yisrael Hashem Aleikeinu Hashem Echad? Says the Ramchal. We spoke before. The Ramchal says three things. You have to think that Hashem is the king, and you are his subject. Right? That's God is my king and I'm his subject. Okay? Then you have to think that I'm willing to die al Kiddush Hashem. I'm willing to give up my life al Kiddush Hashem to send by God's name because God is my king and I'm willing to die for him. I'm a true soldier. And the third thing we have to have in mind is that God is a Kol Yochel or all capable. He rules within all four corners of the world and out. There's nothing but God. Not that there's no other gods. There's nothing. There's nothing but God. Nothing. Means that everything that exists, exists inside of God. Nothing exists outside of God. We spoke about this already. God's wisdom is inside of God. God's knowledge is part of God. Um, God's words that even exist inside of God. Right? There's the perception that we have, that human, humans have, that God gives the, the perception that we exist outside of him. But really when Mashiach comes, for your data hayoim, you will know today, you'll see that there's nothing else. It's all God. It's just that we said from the Kabbalist that all the spiritual things are the surah and the physical things are the chaymer, like the guf and the nefesh. But the, but the, but the outside cover of the spiritual essence, the spiritual energy is the external cover, is the physical object. So when we look at things today, we see the outside cover, the outside um, covering. So we see a physical table, we see a chair. But that chair has a nefesh inside it and that nefesh is what gives the life force. And when Mashiach comes, Hashem will be one, and His name will be one. Right? Hashem and His name will be one. Today we only understand Hashem by the name, the way He interacts with us. He sometimes interacts with us with the name of Elekeinu, hiddenly, through hiddenness, through concealment, and sometimes through Yudkei like when we had, um, which is God's absolute oneness, like the times when He sustains nature, like, like Kriyas Yamsuf. That was God, Yudkei in the ten, the ten Commandments, Hashem was showing Pari. Pari says, "Me Hashem, I Who is Yudke Vavke? I listen to him. I only see Elokeinu. I only see nature, concealment. So God showed Pari and the Jewish people and the whole world for all of the time that there's Yudke Vavke. That God controls everything. He opened the heavens, right? The Kriyat Yamsuf, the ten plagues, the firstborn. Everyone. We said from from I think the morale, the place divided by into three different parts, and from the heavens, from the earth, and below the sea to show God controls everything. There's only one God." It's not a pagan world. And so that's Yudke Vavke. So, but when Mashiach will come, we say every day in the end, the last word of davening, we say the last pasuk of Aleinu, God will be the king, Akol Aretz on the entire world. But Yom on that day, Yashem, Hashem will be Echad, one. There will only be one. And His name will be one. Meaning, the way we relate to God, the way that we perceive God through His different names today in concealment, and God will all be one. We will see everything in a state of oneness. 
every table will see that the, the true table is a spiritual essence and the physical cover that we see, the clipper, the external physical expression of it is really just nullified to God's essence but we just and God's oneness. We just don't see that with our fleshly physical eyes in this world. Now, what happens is we finish this process and what happens? We then are able to go into the Shemayna Esrei after this process, after this whole process that the men of the Anshaykhness of Agdoila, the men of the Great Assembly laid out for us to have success in our prayers, we can now come into the inner chamber and be totally united and one with God and then we are able to request and receive blessings. So you see what we've done? We've started with, we spoke about all the things in the last uh, week, the seven things happen when we pray. We said, we said when we pray, seven things happen. We acknowledge, we depend. So in Brachot, we acknowledge and we depend. And we are grateful and we crown, we're mamlich. We prepare to receive, we connect, and then we can request. And it's the final one, it's the Bakashot, we can request. So go through the process that we just explained and we outlined, it's very clear, the global picture, what's happening. We say, Moedani, we, we, we are acknowledging God. And the Brachot, we are all thanking God, being grateful to God, depending on God. Then we say, Karbanot, we are asking for forgiveness for our sins. Then we say, Zimra, we are trying to find favor in God's eyes and get rid of the concealment, fight the concealment within our Nevesh Hamis and try to get the Nevesh Lakis and the Shama to take a godly soul, to take over the body and find expression through the body, through our words, through our thoughts, through our emotions. They should all be expressed by the godly soul. Then once we've done that, or conquered that, we try to enter into a meditative state of the Brachot of, of, of Birkat Krishma. We start off with Hamela Oretz, and we're talking about um, the stars and the astronomical world and the galaxies and the universe and how great God is. And that's all, they all work for God's will and they all submit to God's will and they work, and they're all in a, working in a state of God's oneness. And then we move on to the level of their spiritual worlds, of the angels and then the Kalash Kadosh. And then we work through these levels higher and higher up the angel chain, angelic chain. And then we work into God's work, think about God's awaken God's love for us all the meditative states until we get to Shema, listen yourself, Shema Yisrael, the Yisrael in yourself, listen, the, you who to contend with God, each individual contends with God, with the supernatural, with the spiritual, listen, Hashem Hashem Echad, Hashem Echad, Hashem is one, which is numerically the same as Ahava, as love, and if you hear that God is yours and God is one, you will automatically love God, that will bridge the Ahava God has for you, Haboycher Amar Yisrael, the Ahava, the Echad will bridge the Vahat Hashem Rekechad, the two Ahavas, before and after Shema, directly preceding and, and then after you say Shema, and you enter a state of unity and oneness and Yichud and Devekus with God, then you enter the Shemana Esrei in the state, and suddenly you're in that inner chamber. So now you can request what you want because you're in the inner chamber, you're one with God, you're one with God's will, you've nullified yourself to God's will. So it's not an expression of your ego. So again, you're, you're asking for things, yes. God give us health, God give us parnasah, right? But, but the difference is we're getting now to a state where we're asking in a state of hispatlas, in a state of nullification or submission to God's will, right? So we're not, before we went through this whole process, it was our nefesh abahavis, our animalistic soul, finding expression through our body, through our guf, and asking for our egoistic desires. I want money. I want a nice cat. I want a good job. I want, I want, I want. But once we went through this whole Purification process, 
all the way through Brachot, Kavanot, Sukkot and Zimra, Brikos Krishma, Shema, and Atashwana Esrei, now it's, we've, we've, we've separated our ego, we've splashed us our yeshos, separated our ego, nullified the ego, got into our godly soul, came, we, 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 like a Nachman from Bretho said, we let go of our desires and our rotsonus, and we became one with God's rotson, we accept God's will, what does God want? We have a God-centric view, and now we can pray, and in fact, all of the prayers are said in the plural, they're not said in the, in the singular, what do we say? Rufo Eno, heal us. Give us It's all plural. Why? Because we are thinking of others. We have that God-centric view, that broad perspective outside of our ego, and we're davening for others. And it says, whoever davens for their friend, he gets answered first. When you pray for your friend, you get answered first. I just want to conclude here by saying that, number one, um, when you do pray, what happens is generally, the Hasidic Masters explain that generally you get um, slammed with foreign thoughts. Sometimes they can just be distracting, sometimes they can actually be quite uh, non-kosher. And the Tanya writes and the Swaram writes, that is not a bad thing. The opposite. It's the Yetzirah trying to make you think, evil inclination, that you're not being successful. But what's really happening, as we just explained, is because you have two souls, a godly soul, a Nefesh Bahamis, an animalistic soul, what happens is when the godly soul takes over the body and is winning the war, the animalistic soul, which represents the, the earthness of a person, the, the, the Yetzirah person, tries to fight back. So therefore he tries to bombard you with dodgy thoughts to distract you from governing. So it's, it's a sign of how successful you're being, says the Tanya. It's a positive thing. So he says, imagine that you're praying. It happens to be a lot in Gateshead, uh, in England, very anti-Semitic um, area in Newcastle, unfortunately, Geordie land. And um, very often they'll come up to us and spit at us and swear at us, throw stones at us, steal, steal our kippah, dirty Jew, etc. So if you're in the middle of davening or learning and an anti-Semite comes up to you and says stupid things, are you going to stop and think, oh, how should I respond? What's he saying? What's the correct way to respond? No, you're going to ignore him. Says so Tanya, the big, the Yetara, which I'm saying, obviously, is the biggest anti-Semite. He's trying to destroy us every second of every day. Trying to, trying to kill us. Literally, it says, um, writing after your desires and your, and your honor, they take us out of the world, literally, they destroy and they kill him, right? And we said, you know, addictions and, and, and trying to have too much excessive consumption of physicality can lead to, can be fatal, right? Addictions, alcohol, etc., overconsumption are fatal. They all come from the Yetzirah. So the Yetzirah is trying to destroy our tefillah. So don't listen to him. So if you're davening, next time you're davening and you get bad thoughts or dodgy thoughts, try to ignore them. Ignore them. He says, if you, if you really try and you can't ignore them, ask Hashem to help you. Say, I'm trying to daven for you. I'm trying to be close to you. Please, it's for your sake I'm davening. Please, can you help me with these, not to have these thoughts. Now, if your tefillot come out broken or you didn't have the right concentration or you didn't have the right kavanah or the right emotion, so they explain that there's a couple of solutions. Number one, we said that the tzaddikim can carry it home. We said that Mount Everest, if somebody falls sick on the exhibition, climbing Mount Everest, then everyone there will do whatever they can uh, the, 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 those, those in the exhibition, the climbers, um, they, they will do everything they can to bring that person home. Everything humanly possible. But if the person dies, they'll bury him and they'll leave him because they just can't carry him. It's too hard. So if your tefillah has some level of emotion, they can be taken up by the tzaddikim. And the, and the, uh, uh, Rabbi Melech Olegens finds a hint to this at the Mishnah. It says, Shalom Lishma, Ba Lishma. Shalom Lishma, Ba Lishma. 
it says if you learn for not for not, um, not for God's sake, it will come to for God. It will come to God for God's sake. So what does it mean? It will come. It should say like the person will come to do it. Why does it say it will come? But it will come means says the actual prayer or the actual Torah that you learned will actually come lishma. Even though you learned it from lishma, the tzaddikim will bring it up. But there's a brilliant solution as well from the Baal Shem Tov that I just saw um, before Rosh Hashanah from the Yeshua Emes brings it down. And he says that every Rosh Hashanah, Marif, Shachrit, and Mincha prayers, the three that you do, those three prayers correspond to every single Shachrit, Mincha, and Marif you did throughout the year, the preceding year. And if you have Kavanah the right way, those three Tfilot Rosh Hashanah, you will rectify every single Tfilah you did throughout the year. So it's true, we're not perfect. But the Baal Shem Tov is telling us we have a brilliant opportunity to rectify them on Rosh Hashanah. And also... I said before from Rabbi, um, Rabbi Shavuosan that we, we could be the Rakivas of our generation. Really, we, he actually says, I, I heard from, um, from one of his students that he says that we are, when we learn and we daven and we, we actually are Rakivas of our generation. In the book, he says we, we could be, but one of his students told me that we actually are like Rakivas of our generation. So we are, we, we don't understand the value, we don't understand the value that we have. And, and Noshenta was, was going crazy about simple tilim from simple people. He once showed his students the unbelievable tilim. His students were sitting around, all these famous Kabbalistic Hasidic masters, and he opened up their minds to see spiritually some, some just general people working. They couldn't learn very much. And they were just saying simple words of tilim. And they heard the tunes of the tilim and like the, 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 the spiritual time or Ganeda or whatever it was. Um, Zevin brings a story, you can look it up. And, and then they apologized. They didn't realize how powerful simple tilim was of simple people that try to connect to Hashem. So you see, never underestimate the power that we have when we try and do our best.